Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you guys here. Glad to, uh, glad to see so many new faces. It's amazing to look out and, and see what I like. To be honest with you, even more than the random uh, newcomer who comes in, like, hey, we found you on the internet, we came in. That, those are wonderful. But I love seeing our family bring new family. I love people that are, that are here and a part of this body saying that I love what this church is doing. I love the people, and I know that I can bring a friend or a neighbor and not have these people be too weird to them. So, not too weird. But I love seeing that and I, because I believe so strongly in what we do. So again, so welcome to all of you. Um, glad that you're here. I'm going to uh, jump into the message, but before I do, I feel like with, with so many first-time visitors here, I'm going to back up just a little bit and kind of explain what we're doing, okay? I, I uh, felt several months ago when we started this church that the Lord told me to teach the Word, teach the Word only, okay? Now, most churches teach the Word, right? But what, what I felt led to do is actually go into the Scripture and explain really what it means. See, a lot of pastors will tell you, hey, here's, here's our Scripture, now let me tell you what it means to you. And I'll do a little bit of that. But I believe that that takes an important element out of what the Lord wants to do with us. And that is us seeking his heart. Okay, I've heard the word. Now what should I do with this? Okay, and I don't believe it's up for me to tell you what you should do with it. I believe that that's up for the Lord to speak to you and tell you, here's how we should respond. So at the end of the message, I'll give you a couple guidelines for response, but really it's, it always points back to, I want you to seek the Lord's heart in what you do. And that doubles up with our journals that we give to you. I don't want, uh, in my heart anyway, it wouldn't be just like, hey, I'm going to take a transcript of everything you've said. If you want to catch our messages, we'll have them on our website, again, discovercommunity.church, or you can podcast through Google Play or iTunes if you want to listen to previous messages. But more importantly, I want you to listen for those things that God really pinpoints on your heart or that really jump out to you as we go through this message and write those things down. So like Gabe said, at the end of the year, you'll have several things you can look back and say, God spoke this to me or he highlighted this to me directly. So that's kind of our heart for doing this. And so as we go through this series, we're actually in, uh, in Matthew 5, we're talking through the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we've been doing, teaching through that for several weeks. Now, I want to back up a little bit again and talk about Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, what those things are. So if you haven't heard, okay, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew is one of the Gospels. It was written by the Apostle Matthew, and it was written primarily to a Jewish audience. So the people he wrote that Gospel for uh, would have been Jews by by, uh, you know, for generations of Jews. And a lot of this was written specifically to help them understand some of the things that they had been doing, some, some right, some wrong, but through their context of, of their eyes. And in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, actually, this is, this is documenting Jesus himself teaching to a group of, of not only disciples, but some people who had just heard of him and had kind of gathered around. So he's teaching to a large audience again, primarily a Jewish audience. And that's important to remember as we go through this because there are a lot of things that he teaches, Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount that as Christians we're like, oh yeah, of course. Of course I knew that. And that sounds, that sounds ridiculous that they would have thought that or been doing these things. But the important thing to remember is that they were, many of them, steeped in a tradition for generations, for as far back as they could remember and their parents and their grandparents could remember, they were steeped in this tradition of doing things certain ways. And the certain way that most of them did it, if you were a Jew, chances are you were very well versed in the law. Meaning all going back to the first five books of the Bible, uh, sometimes called the Torah, sometimes called the Pentateuch, um, which are basically just other than Genesis, which talks about the creation of everything, then it goes into law. Okay, now that you've been created and you're living on earth as one another, here are several books to teach you how to live, how to interact with each other, and how to keep yourself out of trouble for the most part, right? So that's what that is. And so this Jewish audience that Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount to, he's having to break through a lot of these stereotypes, a lot of these things that they've been raised in, a lot of these assumptions that they thought, well, we're doing things right. 
And he's trying to explain to them that like, hey, I know you're doing your best to live by the letter of the law, but the letter of law, letter of the law does not address the heart. The letter of the law just only addresses the law. And yes, that'll keep us out of trouble many times, but how many of you know that as soon as you see a law or a rule, okay, our very first thought, or let's just, I'll point it myself, my first thought is how do I skirt this? How do I get around it? Where's my loophole? I spent a lot of time looking for loopholes. In fact, human nature in general is as soon as you write down a rule, I'm going to start looking for a way around this. It's just human nature. But it goes all the way back. And so that's what I'm going to explain to you as we go through this. Now, for several weeks, we've been talking about some fairly heavy subjects. Okay, we started out with anger and murder. Okay, Jesus teaches on this. We did lust and adultery. Okay, we did divorce and remarriage. So these are some fairly weighty subjects that Jesus is, is talking about here. And this week, as we go into the next chapter, this is Matthew 5, 33 through 37, Jesus is speaking about oaths. Now, an oath is a, is a promise, is a vow. Okay, it's something that you say, I swear by or I swear to. Okay, that's, that's an oath. And if you just look at it on the surface, you're going, whew, that's a little bit of a, of a breather from some of those heavy subjects that we've been talking about. But what you're going to find as we go through this that really it's a continuation of a thought. Jesus is all about the heart. Jesus wants your heart. He wants you to live in an upright character that is a reflection of the Lord himself in you. And so that's the point of this entire message. I'll, I'll give you a, a spoiler alert here. The point of this whole message is we are to be a reflection of what the Lord has done in us. We are to be able to literally, and Scripture says, look in a mirror, see the reflection back at us, and say, that is a reflection of my Father in heaven. And so that's the point of all this. So let's get into it. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, if, if you are newer here, I typically teach out of the New American Standard Bible. That's the NASB. That's what that means. It's just a version, a translation version that, that I personally like. Uh, I feel that it's very accurate, but that's typically the one that I use. But there are many translations that are wonderful translations, so don't worry if that's not the one you have. But let's go through this. Matthew 5, 33, 37. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told. Now, this is Jesus speaking, Jesus himself teaching this. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Now, let me stop there really quick. If you see when it's in all caps like that, that's not... You know, we're not shouting, and caps lock wasn't stuck on, and we're like, ah, oh, just leave it. We're not going to go back and retype it. What that means is that that's referring to Old Testament Scripture, okay? It's referring back to something that was expressly, explicitly stated in Old Testament Scripture. So when you see that, he's referring back. And when he says, again, you have heard, what he's saying is, okay, you're you're Jews, most of you are devout Jews, you've grown up in that tradition. You've been taught this for years. This is what he's saying. You've been taught this for years, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But then he says, but I say to you. Here's a little hint. Whenever you're reading the Bible and Jesus says, but I say to you, or I say to you, pay attention. That's Jesus saying, I know what you've been told, I know what you've heard, I know what you're probably thinking, but listen, here's what I need you to know. And so that's what he's saying. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Okay, that sounds kind of harsh. Let your statement be yes, yes, no, no, or it's evil. But I'm going to talk to you about where this is coming from. Again, when you look at this, Jesus is not trying to make a more restrictive law than was already there. Okay, when Jesus is teaching through his Sermon on the Mount, he's not trying to say, okay, I know the law says this, but let me give you even more restrictions. Let me give you even more things that you have to do or remember. That's not the point to this. 
He's trying to illustrate that the letter of the law only goes so far. It's about character, and it's about heart. And Jesus wants those things to be the way that the Father intended us to be. And so he's saying the letter of the law is not going to protect your heart. The letter of the law is not going to protect your character. Here's what I need you to know. And so that's where he is. He's actually referring back. Now, this is in several places. Um, Deuteronomy has it. uh, Numbers has it. Leviticus has it, where it all refers back to this false vows, fulfilling your vows to the Lord. But the section I'm going to read from, we've got it on the screen. It's Deuteronomy 23, 21 to 23. 21 to 23. It says, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay for it for it would be sin in you. Let me stop right here. The audience right here is actually Moses. The Lord is giving this download directly to Moses. Okay, this is in a continuation of the thought where Moses was given the Ten Commandments and then given all the law. And then the Lord goes on to clarify what these things mean. And he's downloading all this information to Moses, who then is to go back and transmit it to the Jewish people. So that's the context that we're in right here. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay for it, for it would be sin in you. And the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin in you. You shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. So he's saying a lot of things here. First of all, he's saying when you make a vow to the Lord, he's not saying don't ever make a vow. There are contexts and there are times when it's appropriate to make a vow, to make a promise to the Lord directly. But he's saying when you do that, you're going to be expected to fulfill that vow. The Lord is going to expect for you to do that. But then he goes on to say, however, if you refrain from vowing, it wouldn't be sin in you. In other words, he's saying you can say a lot of things, But when you take it to that level of, I'm going to vow, I'm going to swear in the name of the Lord, it takes it to a higher level. And the Jewish people culturally actually looked at this scripture and they went, there's our loophole. And I'm going to explain to you a little bit more about that here in just a second. The letter of the law is quite typically in this culture and in that culture, a reason to find a loophole. No sooner than it's written on the books and the ink is drying that people are trying to dissect it and figure out ways around it, right? There are entire industries devoted to finding loopholes in laws. And that's why this finds, uh, this, this scripture, this teaching on vows is such a good fit for the Sermon on the Mount because it's not about the law. You could read that and say, okay, I haven't made any false vows and the ones that I have I've fulfilled, but it's more about the hypocrisy of seeing a law and immediately trying to find a loophole. It's about a lack of character in us to where we will see a rule and immediately try and figure out how to get around that rule. That's not the way the Lord wants us to live, and that's not an accurate reflection of God's character in us. And this is what Jesus is trying to get to here. See, historically, the Jewish people were really getting this wrong. They're getting this wrong. And I say historically, it leads all the way up to now. Because this is still essentially the teaching for the Jewish culture on this type of law. Now, there's actually a modern rabbi. His name is Louis Jacobs. He says these things when he's asked about vows, when he's asked about the scripture in Deuteronomy. Here's what he says. The act of speaking an oath or a vow aloud gives it binding force in traditional Jewish law. So speaking it aloud, it's not what's in your heart. It's not what you even write down. It's not what you insinuate. It's speaking it aloud is the only thing that gives it binding law in in traditional Jewish law. The idea behind it is that a man has given to God his word, which he must not break. But again, he says it's only a verbal declaration that constitutes a vow. So it's only what comes out of your mouth. Again, not writing it down. You could write a contract, in other words, sign a contract, but in Jewish law, it's not binding. Okay, and this rabbi, this is a modern rabbi interpreting the law that way. <clears throat> he also says, a vow taken in the heart. He calls his term, a vow taken in the heart. A mental resolve, a mental promise, has no binding force. 
This is what Jesus is up against. And this has been taught for centuries, for generations, this kind of an idea. In fact, it even goes further in Numbers. This is the book of Numbers, chapter 30, verse 2. I think we've got that. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. In other words, if you say it, you better do it. But even then, they're looking for loopholes. Even then, let me give you an example of some, of some loopholes to Jewish law. First of all, an oath by a woman. Okay, if you're a single woman living at home with your parents, you can make any oath whatsoever, verbal, written, anything like that, and your father has the right to immediately terminate that vow. So it doesn't, doesn't have any binding effect if your father says, no, I, I know what she told you, I know the vow she made, doesn't have any force. They could nullify marriages, they could nullify all kinds of agreements if you're a single woman living at home. But then it takes it a step farther. A husband can nullify any vow made by his wife. Ladies, do you like that? Any agreement that you make, any vow that you make, your husband can go, nah, I don't think so. Anything. That's where these guys are coming from. This is what Jesus is up against. Do you ever wonder why the profession of lawyer is such a common one in the Jewish culture? Seriously, it's kind of funny, but you think about it, they were steeped in this tradition of let's look for loopholes. Let's look for ways around this, ways to live our lives under the law and yet not restrained by the law. But I'm not talking about the unrestrained freedom that we have in Jesus. I'm talking about skirting the heart of the law. In fact, it was so bad that... um, that the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish Supreme Court, and all, all the smaller courts that were set up in all the different villages and cities that were around, were so bogged down with case law trying to simply determine who did this person swear by. Let me tell you what I mean by that. An oath sworn by something other than God didn't have binding force. The term for it was evasive swearing. So you've probably read this in the Bible, and it hasn't really jumped out at you. Things like, I swear by the heavens. I swear by the earth. I swear by Jerusalem. I swear by the hairs on my head. That's what that scripture that we read in Deuteronomy was referring to. If you swore by anything other than God himself, you were already looking for a loophole. You're essentially saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to look you in the eye, and I'm going to swear this thing to you. But I said, I swear by the hairs on my head, or by my children, or by my wife, or whatever it is. See, essentially, I've got my fingers crossed behind my back, right? That's what was happening here. Things had gotten out of hand. Things had gotten ridiculous. And if you think that Jesus was not a real man with real thoughts... He had a sense of humor. Sometimes it was a little snarky. He had some sarcasm in him. I'm going to read you a scripture here that kind of points to some of the sarcasm of Jesus when he's talking to them about this situation. This is Matthew, uh, and I don't have it on the screen here, but I'll read it to you. Listen to this. Matthew 23, 16 to 22. This is Jesus speaking again. He says, Woe to you, blind guides. Blind guides, he's talking to the teachers of the law, typically the Pharisees, but it could be any of the rabbis that were there. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, now he's obligated. (laughs) You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold of the temple, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, well, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on the altar, he's obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that that sanctifies the offering? Thereby, whoever swears by the altar swears by both the altar and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him capital H, referring to Father, who dwells within it. 
And whoever swears by heaven swears by both the throne of God and by him who sits on it. He's saying, let's not argue about, well, I swore by something more. I swore by the gold, and you only swore by the altar. You only swore by the building. I swore by the valuable things in the building. This is what the courts were locked up in, and Jesus is going, you you guys, you're not getting it. If you swear by any of these things, you're swearing by the creator of all of these things. And that's what he's getting at. It goes to the very heart of a person's character goes to the very heart of your character. Are you going to live as someone in the world or are you going to live as someone who is a reflection of God himself and his character and the very character that that Jesus died to help us achieve? That's where we are. So should we spending time, should we be spending time looking for moral loopholes? looking for loopholes in the law, patting ourselves on the back because, yeah, I didn't break any laws. Let me tell you how this works in my life, okay? Driving down 470. Speed limit, 55 because of the construction, right? It's, unsa- it's terrifying to drive on there sometimes. But I look and I go, okay, speed limit, 55, but traffic is going 70. It would be dangerous for me to not keep up with the flow of traffic. Therefore, 70 is not only legitimate, but it's safer. So I know what the letter of the law says. I even know the intent of the law, but surely they meant, you know, be safe and go along with traffic. And then I add on that further level, you know that thing where like 10 miles an hour over is essentially... Where's my, yeah, my state patrol officer's going, "Uh uh-uh. It's nine miles an hour, right? Nine miles an hour is okay. He's like, don't look at me. Stop pointing at me. (laughs) That's how it works in my life. I immediately start looking for loopholes, and I justify to myself, hey, it's safer than actually doing what the law says. I'm sure there are millions of other ways that this can manifest. You probably struggle with something different than I do. But Hebrews 4.12 actually says this, chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Now listen to this. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Where's our thoughts and attitudes? And then verse 13, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid, before, laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So when the accuser, you know, another name for Satan is the accuser. When the accuser comes to point a finger at you, who's going to testify on your behalf? Who's going to testify to your character? Will you point to the law and say, but I fulfilled the law? Or are you going to point to Jesus and say, this is my law, and it's what's in your heart? See, the definition of character, this is from the Bible. The definition of character, it's not from the Bible, I'm sorry, this is from the dictionary. Definition of character is a person's unique qualities or traits. Unique qualities or traits. That's our character. And so that's what Jesus is worried about. The traits of our fleshly character versus the traits of our Father in heaven. Which ones are we going to operate in? And that's a constant battle. A constant battle. Because it's so easy to allow the flesh to seep in. So easy to see these things as easier Going along with the flow, sometimes they're just more pleasing physically to our flesh. Let me explain two different things that talk about, this is in Galatians chapter 5, talks about the flesh character versus the traits of God. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now listen to this. This This is some heavy stuff here. Now the deeds of the flesh 
are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, which means arguments with each other, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like a Tuesday for me. pieces of it. I expect a little more reaction. You're like, yeah, it does. You need help. <clears throat> but you know, the very next verse, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it goes on right from that, continuing that thought. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit in you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in you will begin to work these things in you. It doesn't happen immediately. This is fruit that takes time to grow and develop. But these are character traits that we should be moving towards. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. See, the flesh man has to be restrained by the law because all of those fleshly things that I read in the first half, that's where our flesh wants to go. And we need the law to keep us in line. Especially back before the Holy Spirit, before we had the Holy Spirit in us, the law was all that kept us in line, but it obviously didn't do a great job of it. Jesus needed to explain to us that there's much more. There's much more at stake here than just whether I broke a law or not. It's our heart and the very core of our character. See, the spirit man lives in freedom. The flesh man is totally restrained by the law. Our goal then, our goal is to reflect the character of God. That's what we should be moving forward, forward towards. That is our goal. And it's not as hard as you might think. Let me explain to you. First of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Again, this is what I'm saying, where we should be able to look in the mirror and see a reflection of the glory of God. And if we're not, we need to be examining why not. Because you weren't made by accident. Okay, we have a flawed nature, but we have everything we need to be a reflection of the glory of God. And if we're not moving towards that on a daily basis, then we're missing something. That's what this is about. We can reflect the glory of God when we reflect his character. And that comes from our transformed character. So how do we then, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, how do we do that? How do we set ourselves apart from those who are living their lives by the fleshly nature? Okay, because the world is full of those. There's, there's a thousand examples of day, people that we run into things we see on the media where people are entirely wrapped up in their fleshly nature. How do we then set ourselves apart from that? There's another scripture, Matthew 5.48. We do have this one on screen. Matthew 5.48. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's just that simple. <laughs> Write that down in your journal. And they go, okay, there's the key. We'll see you guys in the fall. <laughs> that sounds hard. How can I be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect? See, Jesus teaches this way all the time throughout the Bible. He's saying here is a standard. If you look at it in your flesh, you're going to say that's an impossible standard. How can I possibly do that? There's no way that I can do that. But rather than to feel defeated, there's a target that I will never hit. 
it's pointing us back to Jesus himself, who says it's my righteousness in you that will allow these things to happen. So rather than to look at a scripture like that that says, just be perfect, that's how you do it, just be perfect. That's supposed to make us realize there's nothing that we can do in our flesh to even approach that command. But everything through Jesus will get us there. It's a good thing we have a Savior. Here's another scripture, Romans 3, 21 to 24. We have this on the screen too. Now again, all these, and I forgot to say this earlier, but these uh, letters like Galatians, uh, Corinthians, things like that, these are all letters that are written by the apostles to a specific people group. So when you see 2 Corinthians, it's the second letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the people in the, in the city of Corinth, okay? Romans was a letter written, by, uh, written to the Roman people. So these all have different audiences. I just want to explain that because some people don't quite understand where that comes from. But Romans 3, 21 to 24, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but it is his redemption that we have been freely given. We walk in his righteousness because Jesus Christ died to achieve that for us. Yes, we have eternal salvation. Yes, we have communion with the Father. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. We have all these things that Jesus gave us through his sacrifice. But we also can now begin to manifest that righteousness of the Lord. We can now look in a mirror and see the reflection of our Lord God through what Jesus did. It's not about the appearance of righteousness. So many people walk in the appearance of righteousness. And back in the day, it was the Pharisees who made a point of looking righteous. But then they went and broke all these laws. And it's not about our looking righteous. About the thickness of our Bible or how many Bible studies we go to or how often we pray in front of other people or how loudly we pray. It's not about appearances. Jesus wants what's in the heart. It's about the righteousness of God through Jesus, in us. And that's what we should be working for. So, a response to a message like this, when we hear what, de- what Jesus is teaching here, how do we proceed from this point? Number one, let's walk in that righteousness. Let's do everything that we do with an understanding that this is the target that Jesus set for us. Be perfect, as my Father is perfect. We're going to miss that target more often than not. But we're going to miss it every time that we're not aiming for it. So let's live our lives that way. Stop looking for loopholes. Stop living living your life and looking for loopholes and ways to skirt the law with each other, with our kids, in our workplace. Do you know there's a sign on the highway that says speed limit 55? That's the law. That's not just a decoration. Let's stop looking for loopholes in those things. Let's live with integrity so that Satan's got nothing to accuse. I want to stand before the Father and say, I did the best that I could. As a flawed human being, I did the best that I could to walk in the integrity that you want me to live under. And leave no room for Satan to accuse you. The worship team can go ahead and start heading up. Integrity in these things means to examine your heart and look for places where we may not be living up to that standard. How about our dealings with our children? How many times have we told our children no when we really mean 
ask two or three more times or enough times and I'll probably say yes. We both know that's how it's going to go. But I'm going to start by saying no. And eventually I'll, okay. How many times do we do that? And what are we teaching our children when we do that? That no doesn't really mean no. No means just until you annoy me or it's inconvenient and then it becomes yes. What about in our workplaces? Do your coworkers, do your coworkers think that when you say yes or no, and it's not all about the phrase yes or no, right? This is a, this is a vow or a statement that you're making. Do your coworkers know if they say that, then that's the answer. If they say that, then that's the truth, and I can count on that. Because, see, if they can't, then we're just a reflection of everyone else in society. We set ourselves apart by being a reflection of Christ in us. If your coworker looks at you, and no matter how difficult the answer might be, no matter how outside the box, if you say yes or you say no, and if they know that's their answer, there's no wavering, there's no changing, we're going to be different. And we're going to begin to then reflect that character of Jesus in us. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be ambassadors in the kingdom, ambassadors for Christ. We can't be ambassadors if we look like everyone else. Let's walk in that integrity. What about integrity to non-believers? What about those who don't know Jesus? But they know you're a Christian. I'm going to watch how they act. I'm going to watch how they live their lives. Oh, look, they're doing that same thing. They're trying to get around the law. Look at them giving their time card to somebody saying, hey, i got to leave a few minutes early. Can you punch me out at 5? I know I've done that. It's no big deal. I'll put in some extra time tomorrow. Punch me out at 5 just so it says 5 o'clock. Who are you lying to? Father in heaven sees everything. And those non-believers standing around, those people who are questioning what's it like to be a follower of Christ go, I do that. They're just like me. There's no difference. Why then would I put in all my time to go to church? Why would I devote all these hours of my life when I'm already doing the same things that they do? Let's reflect the glory of God that's in us. Amen? So I want to pray for a couple things. First of all, I feel led to do this. I look out, and I know most of you. And I know that most of you are professing to be Christians. And so sometimes the enemy speaks to me and says, don't do an altar call, don't do a salvation call, because they're all Christians anyway. You're just wasting your time. Just get on with it. I feel like there are people here who maybe know of Jesus. Okay, they've heard about him. They've read the books. They've heard messages. They, they know who this Jesus guy is, but they don't know him in their heart. They don't know him in their heart because the only way you can really know that is to invite him in. Invite him into your heart. Give your heart to Jesus, people say sometimes. And when I first heard that, I'm like, what's it mean to give my heart to Jesus? That means you lay yourself open. You say, Jesus, here I am. All my flaws, you know everything that's wrong with me, and you love me anyway. And so I'm going to open my arms, and I'm going to say yes to you. That's what it looks like to invite Jesus into your heart. And so if you're here and you have not done that, maybe the Lord's just tugging on your heart right now, like, I thought I had done that a long time ago, but maybe I just said the words and I didn't really feel it in my heart. We have an opportunity right now. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come up here and kneel at the altar, although you can do all those things if you want. But it's about a vow that you make to our Father. You're saying, Lord, I thank you for what you sent your son Jesus Christ to do. And Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart right now. In Romans, it says, if you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you are saved. And that's what it means. You are making a declaration. But more importantly, you're believing in your heart.
this is what I need. And I'm saying yes to this today. So as I pray to wrap this up, if that's you, you can say that very prayer. There's no formula on how to say that prayer. It just has to come from your heart. You can just say, Jesus, now's the time. And if that's you, or if maybe you know somebody who's in that place who's not even in this room tonight, we do have a resource. We used to give out those packets for new believers. I didn't think those were super effective, but we found a wonderful book. It's called the New Believer's Handbook. It's a green book, and we've got them sitting on the black table back by that door. If you are in that place where you are giving your heart to Christ for the first time today, first of all, congratulations. It's an amazing thing to do. But then secondly, grab one of those books. They're free. Just grab one on the way out. Nobody's going to chase you to your car or take you into a back room and indoctrinate you. This doesn't happen. This is about a relationship with you and Jesus, and that's all that matters. But again, if you're here and you're in a place where, you're, where even now God is convicting your heart that I'm not living with the utmost integrity that I could be. There are times when I look in the mirror And frankly, I don't like the reflection that I see. It's got nothing to do with your physical body. It has to do with your character. And when you look at yourself in the mirror, do you see the character of Jesus reflected back at you? I'll be honest with you, many times I don't. But it's not about a failure. One failure and you're done. Just forget it. You failed. It's about redemption in Jesus and the chance to try again tomorrow the chance to try again in five minutes. It's the chance to try again over and over and over because there's no limit to Jesus' love. There's no limit to the amount of times that he offers you redemption. And it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, where you've come from. That redemption and that love, unconditional love is available to everyone. And so that's our response. Give yourself to Jesus for the first time. Recommit yourself to him or just simply examine your heart and then make your vow to Jesus. Lord, take these things from me. Take these things from me. I repent of acting in a way that does not reflect you. And I promise, I vow to you to do the best I can from this day forward. That's all it's about. And then... We'll get up and we'll take communion together. So as soon as I pray, feel free to start moving around, taking communion. You can just pray, you can stand and worship with us, or you can begin communion. Now, the way that we do communion here at the crosses, we've got juice and we've got bread and little gluten-free crackers. You can serve yourself. You just take the bread or the cracker, dip it in the juice, and take it that way. My wife and I will be serving communion up here. If you'd like to be served, we'd be honored to do that. We've got wine and bread and crackers up here. But let's just don't do this. By the way, all of you, if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, you are welcome to take communion with us, whether you're a part of this body or not. Something Jesus commands us to do. Remember him. Well, let's just don't do it because now's the time when we do it and then we can go and if we hurry, we can still catch lunch before uh, the line starts to form. Let's do this. Remembering why, what this is all about. It's about the righteousness of Jesus in us who just wants our heart. And if he's got your heart, then those things will begin to grow in you and we will be a reflection of who he is. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for for who you are. I thank you that you use us to spread the word of your son Jesus in the kingdom. Lord, you have told us to be ambassadors in the world not be like the world, but to be above the world and to be set apart from the world. And so, Lord, first of all, we just repent of those things that we've done that are not an accurate reflection of who you are. Lord, lead us. Lead us to remember those things that you want us to grow in. Lead us against our flesh to recognize those times when the flesh wells up in us and we want to make a decision. That is not who you are. That is not who we are supposed to be growing to be. So Lord, help us. Help us overcome our flesh. Help us overcome those impulses 
and be focused on you. Let our first thought be, does this reflect the character of Jesus? And Father, I just also thank you that you are relentless in your pursuit of those who don't know you. Those who don't truly know and understand your heart or those who have never even asked to understand your heart. That you are relentless in your pursuit. And so Lord, if there are people here today who want to make that decision for the first time or maybe the first time where they really feel it in their heart, Lord, I pray that you would make yourself known to them, make yourself real to them in a way that they could not possibly deny or confuse for anything else. Lord, make yourself real. Show yourself to those who need you. Father, we thank you for your grace and your never-ending mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. is calling Have you come to the end of yourself Do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling Oh come to the altar the Father's arms are
the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling Sing, oh come Oh come to the altar the Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was brought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ Jesus Christ Paid for our salvation Praise you, Father. 